You are listening to sermons from New Creation Reformed Presbyterian Church. And now seeking the Lord's blessing, let's turn once again in our Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And our attention will be drawn upon verse 48. Acts chapter 13 and verse 48. Before we hear this word from God, let's ask for his blessing in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as you have taught us to pray for our daily bread, we also would draw from this also the need to pray for the blessing of that spiritual bread from the word of God, that you would grant that this word would nourish our souls and encourage us in the way of truth. And so we pray for your blessing now upon this, your word, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Acts chapter 13 and, be, and verse 48 And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Now this morning we're looking at this very encouraging verse. And it's a very encouraging verse because contained within it, is what we call the doctrine of election. The doctrine of election. God's divine appointment of those who will be saved. Now this verse is so comforting because it assures us that there will be a people who will believe the gospel. And that's going to continue until the end of history. Every day there are going to be people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every day there is someone who is coming to salvation, someone who is turning away from their sin and believing in Christ. And it's all because God has appointed a people to salvation. And this verse assures us that the church will continue to grow. This verse assures us that evangelism and missions bear fruit. And so as we look forward uh, this spring or summer to go downtown and to do evangelism or when we're witnessing to our neighbors, we can have a confidence and assurance that the Lord will bless the efforts of evangelism because this verse tells us that God has appointed a people to eternal life. And it also teaches us that we don't need to wrestle with questions of probability. You know, should I go over there to that group of people and talk about Jesus Christ? I mean, does it really seem like they would believe? Or what about this people group? Maybe, maybe they don't seem like they would believe. We don't need to make any distinctions because it is those whom God has appointed who will believe. We can freely go to all people everywhere and invite them to salvation in Jesus Christ. And this is so encouraging. It's so encouraging because it also reminds us that God is in control. It means that the stubbornness and the deadness and the blindness and deafness of sinners 
cannot stop God from saving them. God can overcome all obstacles and save anyone because God is sovereign. That's what this word tells us. God is sovereign. God is sovereign over all things. Now, of course, the Bible teaches us from cover to cover. And the first verse, of course, that speaks about God's sovereignty is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is sovereign over all that he has made. There's no chance. There's no chance. Proverbs 16, verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but the decision is from the Lord. God is sovereign over all the events that take place, even when they seem to be random. God is sovereign. God is sovereign over the decisions of kings. Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God is sovereign. God is sovereign over our life and our health. Matthew 6.27 Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of of life or chapter 5 verse 36 you cannot make one hair white or black God is sovereign over our health Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 39 see now that I even I am he and there is no God beside me I kill and make alive I wound I heal God is even sovereign over tragedies Amos 3.6, does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? You see, God is the one in control. He's in control of everything. He's sovereign. And his sovereignty includes his sovereignty over the salvation of sinners. He's the one who is in control. We read in Romans 9, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy you see, salvation does not depend on human will or exertion, but on God, who sovereignly chooses to save people. So this one verse, one of many verses, proves that God is in control of his plan, which includes that he has an elect people, a people that he has appointed to eternal life, a chosen people, as many as were appointed to eternal life, believed. Now, surprisingly, this clear truth, this comforting doctrine, this encouraging word has sometimes become a stumbling block, a truth that troubles the minds of people. God has already cho chosen who will be saved. God has already appointed who is going to believe. It doesn't depend on human will or exertion. Only those who have been appointed to eternal life will believe and be saved. This seems to trouble many people. Many are troubled by this question. This seems unfair that God gives salvation only to the elect. It seems unfair that it is only those appointed to eternal life that will receive eternal life. And it also troubles some by triggering 
wrong thoughts within them, thoughts that make them think that it relieves them of all responsibility, uh, a kind of fatalism. Well, what can I do if I'm, I'm told to believe but only those who are appointed to eternal life can believe, then where does that leave me? I, I guess I can't do anything. Some have even used this truth as an excuse to remain in sin and even blame God. Indeed, I've even heard things said from people in certain circles who give the impression that they don't believe that hell itself will be very bad. It won't be very bad for them because they believe that God understands that they can't do anything. They believe that, well, if I'm not appointed to eternal life, then surely my punishment can't be all that bad because God knows that I can't believe in Him. And when I sin, well, God knows that I can't help it. And so I would like to be saved. I'd, I'd like to be part of that elect people, but he knows that I can't do it. And, and so there's not much urgency in their hearts and minds. And this is a twisting of a marvelous truth. It's twisting a marvelous, comforting, encouraging truth into an excuse for sin, into an excuse for not repenting and believing in Christ. Well, I don't know if I'm elect. And until God tells me I'm elect, then I don't have to believe. So it's very important that we understand this, this doctrine of election. And when we do properly understand it, it will become a source of great comfort and encouragement and confidence. So, confidence. so let's spend some time together this morning and learn from Scripture a few things about this doctrine of election. I'm going to present to you three things. Three things about uh, this appointment to eternal life and that only those who are appointed to eternal life believe. Now the first thing that we should know about this doctrine of election is that the number of elect people is unknown to us. It is unknown to us, and who they are is unknown to us. <clears throat> the number of elect people and who those elect people are is unknown to us. It's part of the secret things of God. Look at verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed... As many as were appointed to eternal life believe. How many was that? How many is that? We don't know. Verse 44 tells us that almost the whole city came out to listen to the preaching of Paul. Verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Of the Lord. And then it says, as many as were appointed to eternal life. But we're not told how many. We're not given the number. No one knows the number. Now, in the book of Revelation, in the revelation of heaven that the apostle John saw, he says in chapter 7, verse 9, I looked and behold a great multitude 
that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and all languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. A great multitude that no one could number. That's a, a very important expression. Guinness Book of Real World Records has it, I think. The highest number that someone's ever counted to is one million. It took the guy 89 days to do it, to count to one million. But this is something beyond that, because uh, that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, that's as, as high as it can go. Uh, this is, no one could number. That's a large number. It's beyond numbering. Those appointed to eternal life. Think of that encouraging fact. In heaven, when you think of salvation, the great day of resurrection, all those people saved, it's a number that is so great it can't be numbered. Abraham was shown uh, that number <clears throat> by illustration of the stars in the sky. He said, look up at the stars. Can you number the stars? And uh, suppose Abraham could have numbered the stars there. Well, as you know, there's a new telescope that's just put up in orbit, and it's going to see a lot more stars. And so we know that the number appointed to eternal life is an astounding number, an astounding number. Those appointed to eternal life. This is not an expression that means that the number is small. Because God has said that the number, if you could count the stars in the heaven, your descendants would be like that. John seeing this multitude, I can't number this many people. Now we don't know if God has appointed a few in one place and many in another place. What we do know is that he does appoint people to salvation in all places. You remember when Paul went to Corinth, and God willing, we'll be looking at this in the months ahead. He was told by the Lord, do not be afraid. Go on speaking, Paul. Keep speaking. And do not be silent, for I have many in this city who are my people. See, God had a people appointed to eternal life. So Paul, don't be silent and don't be afraid. Keep preaching because I'm drawing them in through the preaching of the gospel. There were many in Corinth who were appointed to eternal life. Now, again, Paul wasn't told how many. He wasn't given a number. And he wasn't told who they were. And this is why we should never view the doctrine of election as something that quenches or restricts or hinders or somehow presses down on our motivation. Rather, it should spur us on to realize that those who are saved are a number that will be too large to count and that they are everywhere, and so we ought to go out and preach to everyone. We don't know who they are. The elect, are there any elect in the Amish communities? Are there any in the mosque down the road? Are there any in the universities? Are there any down the street? We don't know. They're all over. They're all over. And so the fact that God has an appointed people is never a reason to hinder evangelism. In fact, it's the great encouragement for evangelism. Do you know anybody, have you ever met anybody 
who of their own strength and power wants to believe in Jesus Christ. But God has an appointed people who will believe. So this is the first thing uh, to know is that we don't know the number, we don't know who they are. That's the first thing that we should realize. Now a second thing that we should know about election is that the doctrine of election does not nullify the sincere free offer of the gospel to all people. The doctrine of election does not nullify the sincere free offer of the gospel to all people. Look back at verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Let it be known to you. Let it be known to you. Through Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. To you. Now, who is the you that Paul keeps saying over and over when he says in verse 38, let it be known to you. Who is the you? When he says, forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ is proclaimed to you. Who is the you? Is it just those appointed to eternal life? No. No, this is proclaimed to everyone who was there. The apostle is speaking to everyone there. A great crowd of Jews and some Gentiles there in that synagogue. And here is this free offer of salvation to them. Let it be known to you. This is proclaimed to you that through Jesus Christ, everyone who believes will be forgiven. In fact, this is confirmed by the response of many of the Jews who heard this offer. If you look at verse 45, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. Now, here are people who are clearly not appointed to eternal life. But just because they weren't appointed to eternal life did not mean that a sincere offer of salvation wasn't given to them. It was. Paul says in verse 46 that the word of God was spoken to them. The forgiveness of sins was proclaimed to them. The offer of salvation was presented to them. They were offered salvation. They were sincerely invited to believe but what did they do with this free offer? What did they do with it? They thrust it aside. The doctrine of election does not nullify the free offer of the gospel to the non-elect. There is a sincere invitation given to the non-elect, but they thrust it aside. They freely choose to reject the offer. Uh, even notice the way that Paul uh, speaks to them. He says, 
You judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. <clears throat> you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. In other words, by thrusting aside this free offer of salvation, you've condemned yourself. You've condemned yourself by doing that. It was offered, and you've condemned yourself to hell because you have rejected this gospel offer. You've sealed your sentence. That seems to show then that very clearly that they have this invitation, this offer, which they do something with. It's not that it's not given to them. It is given to them, and they do something with it. Namely, they throw it aside. They throw it aside. So it proves then that there is this free offer. Furthermore, notice in verse 46, Paul also says, since you thrust it aside, we are turning to the Gentiles. In other words, we're going to give the Gentiles, the same gospel offer that we gave you. This was something that was given to you. God would have it presented to you. But you thrust it away and, aside, and so we're going to give it to the Gentiles. You see, those who were appointed to eternal life received the very gospel that these Jews, who weren't appointed to eternal life, threw aside. It was the same offer. So no one can say, no one can say, since I'm not elect, I'm not being offered salvation. No one can say that. You are offered salvation. You are, if you're not believing and receiving, then you are choosing to reject what is freely offered to you. You're offered salvation as a free gift. Believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You'll be forgiven. That's the offer. Now then the third thing, the third thing we should know about the doctrine of election is that this doctrine does not take away our personal responsibility to believe the gospel and to receive eternal life. It does not take away the reality that all of our decisions have consequences. Look again at verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Now it does not say that as many as were appointed to eternal life sat back and began to wonder if they were appointed to eternal life. God's election, God's sovereignty and salvation, God's appointment to eternal life is a secret thing that belongs to Him. It's a secret thing. And as a secret thing, it's not something that we, tr we should try to find directly from Him. God doesn't ask us to pray to Him and make the request, tell me, if my name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Tell me if I am appointed to eternal life. Those appointed to eternal life are written in the Lamb's book of life. The elect are listed there. But that's a closed book. That's a closed book. We will not see with infallibility uh, who's in that book until the day of judgment. That's God's personal information. 
Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. You see, focusing on what God has revealed to us, that is what is to govern our decision-making. Not trying to discern what God's secret decree is. The secret things. He's eternal decree. Those who are appointed to eternal life, that belongs to God. That belongs to God. God's not going to reveal this to us in a direct way like this. And so they're not meant to be the motive for your response to the gospel. You know, there are some who are looking for some kind of evidence to indicate that they are appointed to eternal life and then they will repent and believe. Then they'll put their trust in Jesus Christ. If there's some movement of the Spirit, if there's some feeling, something that will convince me that I am elect, then I will move and believe. Knowing what God's decree is, knowing those who are chosen as his people, that's something that we are not going to be given direct revelation about. And so what we need to do is act on what God has revealed to us. Act on what God has revealed to us. What has he revealed to us and our children? He has revealed to us that our decisions, our decisions have consequences. That's what he reveals. God doesn't reveal to you directly, I've appointed you to eternal life, but he does reveal to you what the consequence will be of the decision you make with respect to the gospel. You see, God does not Reveal to anyone, you are not appointed to eternal life. That's something that God doesn't say. You're not elect. You're not elect. You, know, you can't look at yourself and say, you know, I've tried Christianity so many times. I tried to, I've tried this and tried, I, I don't think I'm elect. I think God is showing me I'm not elect. God doesn't tell you if you're elect or not. What he does tell you is that you are to believe. Again, there are many who believe that this doctrine of election takes away personal responsibility. If I'm not appointed to eternal life, then I cannot believe. I cannot be saved. It doesn't matter what I do. And they go into a tailspin of despair. It's like a fatalism. If only I knew, if only I knew, then I would be encouragement. Well, God has revealed to you that your decision, your decisions have consequences. What you decide to do with the gospel offer will have consequences. This is what God reveals to you. And what he says about the consequences of your choice is absolutely true. And so verse 38 says this, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed 
from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. In other words, you're freed from all sin, all condemnation. Let it be known to you. Let it be known to you. Now there is one consequence to a decision. This is what God teaches you. God says, this will happen if you do this. If you believe, then this is what's going to happen. You're going to be forgiven. You're going to have eternal life. That's what God says. You'll be saved. You've been offered forgiveness through Jesus Christ. God is telling you, if you receive Jesus Christ, accept the offer, you will have eternal life. On the other hand, verse 46, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. Here's another consequence to the decision over what you do with the gospel. If you reject the gospel, if you thrust it aside, you will not have eternal life. You will die in your sins. You will not be forgiven. And you see, so God has revealed these things to you. He's revealed to you that you are offered salvation. You are offered salvation. There, there is no excuse for someone to say, I was never sincerely offered salvation in Jesus Christ. No, you are offered that. You are offered that. And God has revealed to you that if you accept that offer, if you accept it, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you say, Lord, I'm a sinner, I can't save myself, have mercy on me, receive me, I believe your word, if you believe, you will be forgiven. You will have eternal life. That's the consequence of your decision to accept. That's what God has revealed to you. And you're also shown that if you choose to reject this free offer, then that choice has consequences as well. And you'll perish in your sins forever in hell. That is what God has revealed. And it does no good to sit back and to say, yes, but I need to know if I'm elect first before I can make this decision. No, you don't. That's something that God will not reveal to you. What he reveals to you is that he is freely offering you salvation. And if you receive it, you will be saved. And not only this, he commands you to receive it. He pleads with you to accept Jesus Christ. Everything in the gospel is saying to you, believe and be saved. And finally, Notice something else that God shows us about those who are appointed to eternal life. They that heard, those who were appointed, what is it that marks them? They believe. They believe. See, that's what it really comes down to. That's what it really comes down to. Even if you wanted to, to discern whether or not you're appointed to eternal life, 
here's where you would find your confirmation. Do you believe what the Bible says? Do you believe what the Bible says? If the Bible says believe in Christ and you will be saved, do you believe that? Those who are appointed to eternal life believed. Well, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that the way of salvation is so free and it is so universally offered in such a way that sinners have this glorious opportunity to believe and receive eternal life. And, O oh Lord, we pray that it would be the work of your power and spirit that all of us would rejoice in this great truth and place our trust and hope in Jesus Christ for the salvation of our souls. May that be, O oh Lord, in your mercy and grace, uh, the characteristic of everyone in this room. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to sermons from New Creation Reformed Presbyterian Church. God bless you.